So I'm excited to come into this series this morning called Wonder in the Wilderness. And, and this message is pretty fun because I get to preach from the book of Revelation, and I just love when I get to do that. But this message might challenge you a little bit, so I just want to give you a heads up on that. Let's give you a fair warning. Hope we brought you steel-toed boots because this will challenge you a little bit. But pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. I, I like, God, I really mean that you are here. That you show up no matter where we are, and I'm so thankful for it. God, I pray that you would come speak through me. Let none of my own opinion or theology come out. Let it all be you. Let every person on the sound of my voice leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. If you were here last week, <clears throat> I started the service by talking about how, uh, really the whole sermon, I was talking about my wedding and leading up to my wedding and how I struggled with being jealous and things like that. So the series we've been in, Wonder in the Wilderness, first was the wonder of being led by God, that the God of all heaven and earth would lead us. And the following week was the, the wonder of his plan, that he actually has a plan for our lives. That the God of heaven and earth has a plan that he is working me towards. And last week was the wonder of his provision and that in the midst of this plan, he provides for me. And if you were here, as I was saying, I talked about my wedding and how I was looking forward to it. And I really struggled. I was jealous and I was, I was really just dealing with, with resentment and, and things like that and being discontent. But I can tell you this, that. Leading up, and I, I said it last week, lead, going up to my wedding, I was mad that it took so long. I was upset. I was frustrated. And on my wedding day, I remember I woke up and my dad's friend woke me up extremely too early for when I wanted to wake up. But he gave me these amazing pancakes, so I got over it really quick. And I went and got my hair cut, and I was just trying to take it easy. <clears throat> but there was just this unsettled nature in me because I was so wound up and all tight about it because it was finally happening and all this kind of stuff. And we got there and it was hot because my wife wanted to get married in August. And if y'all know me in the heat, who wears a suit in August? I don't know. So anyway, so I get there and the, all the stuff's going on and we're at the balcony out there off Clearview. And all the stress and the anxiety was there. But then she came out. And guys, you know, See, when I go to a wedding, I don't like to look at the bride. I got all day to look at her. My, my mama told me this. When, when you want to you see something amazing, watch the groom's face the first time the bride comes out. And see, this whole new first look picture thing, I think it's trash. Because it robs this experience to me. So I just want to say, ladies, don't do that. Let's just pretend later, right? Anyway. But it's incredible because you get to see the look on this guy's face the first time he gets to see his bride. Well, I remember, I don't remember doing this. I was told that when Caitlin came out, I, I yelled kind of, oh my God. I said something along those lines. And there was such a, a lift that came over me because this is what I had been waiting for. And it was finally happening. This morning is the wonder of his promise. Now, you may be here this morning, and you may have been waiting for God to do something in your life for years. And I want to tell you that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. But I also want to tell you there are sometimes things 
that we think God has promised us that we just really, really want. And then we wonder why it's not happening because maybe he didn't promise it to you. We're going to dig into that this morning. Go to Exodus chapter 3. Israel was believing in a promise that God had given them. Exodus 3 verse 7 says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. He's talking to Moses in the burning bush. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Keep going. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing of milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. It's a promise. But see, this promise wasn't given to them. It wasn't new to them. This was a promise that was passed down generation to generation to generation. And so I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 real quick. This promise wasn't first given to Moses. It was first given to a man named Abram. In Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you, look how many times God says I in this verse. I will show you, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. In all the families of the earth shall be blessed, and in you. This was a promise given to the Israelites, not just when they were in slavery, but even before them. And through my study this week, I learned something that I was incorrect about. For years, I've taught and believed and thought, understanding-wise, that the Israelites were in slavery for over 400 years, and they were not. When you go through, and the Bible gives you the timeline, God tells Abraham the situation, and it's 215 years from Genesis 12 to when Joseph goes to Egypt. When that happens. And then they're enslaved for another 215 years. So it's 430 years total. Now, it doesn't matter whether we thought it was one thing or another. Nobody in this room has been waiting on God for 430 years. You may feel like you have, but you have not. You've not been waiting for 430 years for God to do something for you. But how many of you have been waiting for God to do something for a year? Raise your hand. All right, we're going to have a little fun here. Two years. Three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. We got one in the back. Guess what? Just because it isn't here yet doesn't mean he's not faithful. But they waited 430 years. Moses leads them out of captivity by the miraculous power of God. They're led by a cloud by day and a fire by night. They cross the Red Sea on dry land and watch the same Red Sea close and destroy their enemies. They are fed every morning by manna and every evening by quail. They complained when difficulty arose, but God, but they kept on following Moses who followed the cloud. We're going to face opposition, trial, and difficulty on the journey. But remember, God is much more interested in our development than he is in our comfort. T.F. Tenney said that. He's much more interested in our development than our comfort. And sometimes we forget this. We forget this. And that's what I'm talking to you about this morning. 
Israel is on this journey. And just like them, we're going to have moments of doubt. We're going to have moments of difficulty. We're going to have moments of yelling at the steering wheel. We're going to have moments of screaming in the bathroom mirror. We're going to have moments of taking it out on our spouse or on our friend or on somebody next to us or the poor lady at the checkout line at Winn-Dixie. Like, we're going to have moments where we just lose it because we're going through this process and it's not easy and it's not something that we enjoy doing. But we got to be faithful and we got to stay following Jesus. Now, Israel's on this journey. They're being led by God and they end up at Mount Sinai. And it says it took three months from the time they left Egypt to get to Mount Sinai. And the cloud stops right at the, the, the base of Mount Sinai. And so they set up camp. And see, this is where things start to get interesting because Moses goes up the mountain. Moses leaves. When they set up camp, then Moses goes up the mountain because Moses doesn't know where to go next. And God calls him up the mountain. And I want to let you know something. There are times, it's not the message, it's a totally different message, but there are times that you need to get away and go up the mountain and get with God. What I mean by that is you need to shut down all your apps, all your streaming, all your social life, all your gaming, all your stuff. Stop eating for a few days and get away with God to find out what God wants you to do. I, I truly believe we forget how spiritual this life is sometimes. And a lot of times we think that if we just keep doing what seems right and keep doing what we've always done, that God's going to show up and he will. But what if God wants to change the thing you've always done to do something else? What if God wants you to do something a little different? What if God wants you to pray a little different, talk a little different, spend a little different, save a little different, move somewhere, pray, do, do a different thing, learn a different language? You don't know. And if I keep doing the same things I've always done, I'm going to keep seeing the same things I've always seen. And Moses says, no, I'm going to go get away with God. I'm going to go up. I have to do this every year. Every year I go get with God. I didn't leave this year, but I, I shut down. I bring in a guest speaker. I shut down and I say, God, what are you doing next year? I'm going to, you know, the plan. God's already given me the plan for 2023. And sometime around July next year, I'll start praying with 2024. Why? Because it's not easy to turn a ship on a dime. And I want to make sure I know where God's taking us as a ministry. Right? And so Moses goes up the mountain. And from Exodus 19 through 31, Moses tells us about what God told us. And this was 40 days. But then we get to Exodus 32. Somebody say Exodus 32. Have you ever been to Exodus 32? Yes, you have. You may not know that you have, but I can promise you, you have been to Exodus 32. Let's read, shall we? Amen. Verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron, who was his brother, and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings. This is going to preach real good in a minute. The earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. Good Lord that ain't even in my notes, what he just said. Praise God. And bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and molded a calf. Say a calf. 
Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Moses saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Please notice. I'm about to be a woman. Go back to that verse. Please notice right here. The capital L. How it's still capitalized. Just notice that. We'll get back to it in a minute. Just please notice that he said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Go to the next verse. Then they arose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Look at verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed, Israel just spent three months Following Moses, who was following a cloud by day and a fire by night, they had watched the miraculous Red Sea experience. What we didn't discuss is that during this time, they're thirsty. So God tells Moses to take his stick and hit a rock and a river of water flows out that gives water, enough water for all of these people and to fill up their, their jugs so they can feed their livestock. But they are watching supernatural miracles happen constantly to provide for them then they then they they go through the, the desert and then they're fed by manna every day and quail in the evening and they're seeing all this and they get to a spot at the base of the mountain and moses goes up and what i didn't read for you is when moses went up the mountain the cloud set it on top of the mountain and the presence of the came and they were told don't touch the mountain. Don't even go close to the base of the mountain. Stay away because it'll kill you because it's so holy because the presence of God came. And then 40 days goes by and they went from worshiping God and in 40 days are making an idol. You want to know why? Because the only thing harder than following God into the unknown is following God when he's silent. Oh, Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris, I, I, I'm just not hearing nothing no more. I've been praying. I've been fasting. I've, he, he's just being quiet. Why is he being quiet? Why isn't he talking? Why haven't I heard anything? I've been to every altar call. I've been to every conference. I've done everything. And I, don't, I don't hear him talking anymore. Why isn't he talking to me? When I read, I'm not getting anything. When I pray, I don't feel anything. When I'm worshiping, I just sing. And it feels like it hits the roof and it comes back down. Have you ever been there? You ever been in that spot where you, you do all the things, like Ephesians 6, 12, when you've done all you know to do, stand. Have you ever done all you know to do, and you're standing, and you're like, yeah, but I still ain't getting nothing. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, God, I don't know what's happening here. Israel was at that spot. It's the only thing more difficult than following God into the unknown is following God when he's silent. And see, we have to live in wonder of his promise, even in those moments. I got to live in wonder of his promise, because if I don't live in wonder of his promise, I will wander in idolatry. I'll wander in idolatry. Israel gets here and it goes 40 days. And in 40 days, that's, that's less than half the time they've been in the desert. They switch all of a sudden. And fall in idolatry. And if you know anything about God, if you've read the Bible, right? He really, really, really doesn't like idolatry. 
Like there's that thing, right? My mom's parents, when we were younger, we'd go by their house we, for Sunday dinner, and we'd have Sunday evening services. So we only had like, it was like Sunday noon lunch or whatever. And, and there was one thing that my grandmother hated more than anything else I can remember, and that was throwing a ball in the house. She had four daughters, so she was not, you know, no one played ball. Well, her daughters had some grandsons who liked to play ball. And I can remember I broke something one time with a ball, and you would have thought that I lit the house on fire and shot the dog right in front of her. Because it was the end of the world to Grandma Gloria because I threw a football. Now, granted, I did knock over a piece of her 50th anniversary set, and I broke one of the cups. Like, well, I'm not saying it wasn't a big deal. It was dumb. I shouldn't have done it. I knew the rule. But, but anyway, it was a ball, guys. It was a little, those soft, plush Saints footballs you know what I'm talking about. It's a big deal, right? It is the one rule. And if you read the Bible, God does not fool with idolatry well. That's why the enemy loves when you and I fall into it. Because not only does it dishonor God, but it's like his pet peeve. And the best way for the enemy to get God, to, in his mind, to get God aggravated is to have you and I fall into idolatry. But best Christian, I'm not falling into idolatry. Hmm. If you in Exodus 32, you are. You'll be tempted to. Let's look at what happens here. Three signs of wandering into idolatry. The first one is compromise. First one's compromise. Let's go back to Exodus 32, verse 2 through 3. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Please look at where the gold was. In the ears of the wives, the sons, and the daughters. He's telling the husbands, Go get the gold out of the ears of the wives, your sons, and your daughters. It's the rings, necklaces, and earrings. Now, if you are an observant individual, you will realize that these people were slaves for 215 years. How in the world do they have gold jewelry? Thank you for asking. They have gold jewelry because as they were leaving Egypt, God put it on the hearts of the Egyptian people to give them gold, to give them jewelry, to give them supplies. So the captor, the people who had them as slaves were giving them gold. This is the enemy that once had them underneath their foot is giving them gold. So every time you walked around the camp of the Israelites and I saw the earring in Melanie's ear, I remember that that's a sign that God made my captor give me gold so that I would remember what God brought me out of. Every time they walked around camp, every time they met for a meal, every time they went anywhere and they saw the gold, they saw the jewelry, they remembered what God had done for them. But look what Aaron says. I want you to go get the testimony. I, I want you to go get the testimony. I want you to bring it to me. But notice where, he take, where, where, where they're told to take the testimony from. You know what I've heard a bunch? I've heard a whole bunch. I can miss church, Pastor Chris. I still read. I still pray. I still talk to God. I, I, I can go without it. I, I, it's okay. Yeah, and you might be able to. You've been serving Jesus a long time. 
But what you don't realize is when you miss for six, seven, eight, ten weeks in a row, you're taking the earrings out of the ears of your children. And your children don't know the same things you know. Because they were too young to remember how bad slavery in Egypt was. They were too too young to remember what God did. So when they see the earrings, you say, hey, you remember those earrings? That's because God delivered us from Egypt. But no, 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 no. Give me the earrings. Let me take the faith. Let me take the testimony out of the ears of your wife and your children, of your heritage, of your legacy. Uh, give me those. Because it wasn't God. You know, it, it, it was, it, we don't even remember that. You know, we, it's, church is just something we do. It's not who we are. But, but, but notice this. We stop projecting the glory of God because we need it for something else. See, there's, a, there's an opportunity for more money at work because you need financial breakthrough and you have a raise at work. But the problem is it's going to cause you to miss life group and probably put you in compromising circumstances you shouldn't really be in. For example, I know there was a guy who used to come to church here years ago that he, he worked for a company on the river. And he got a job offered to him to instead of just taking care of riverboat pilots, he was going to get promoted and he was going to begin to take care of the executives as they flew in to do the inspections and kind of take them out and wind them down and do all this kind of stuff. And, and it was going to pull him away a little more. And it was going to give him this big fat expense account. And he's going to get this big old raise. But, but the problem is he had to wind and dine these execs. And when these executives would come in town, they want to go to the city. They want to go to the clubs. They want to go to the bars. They want to drink. They want to go spend a bunch of money and party while they're in New Orleans. And this guy decided that he was going to, to stop living the way that he knew to live. He was going to take the earring out of his ear and say, yeah, but I really need this pay raise. So I'm going to go start doing things that I would not normally do, that I don't believe I should be doing. I'm going to go do them anyway. And the next thing you know, his marriage was gone because he compromised. He, he said, I really need this raise. I really need this more, this more income in my life. And since God isn't moving, you ever said that? Since I don't know what God's doing, he ain't moved yet, so I'm going to go move it on my own. I'm going to go take care of it. He compromised. He, he, he melted down the testimony. And see, the next step is once I, once I go from compromise, I begin doing things I wouldn't normally do or I wouldn't have done six months ago or I could, my, my young Christian self would have never imagined me doing. Sometimes, um, you probably heard the country song, if I could write a letter to me by Brad Paisley and send it back in time to myself at 17. What I really wish is I wish that we could write a letter to ourselves the day we get born again. And just seal it, and we can't open it for 15 years. And let your passionate, I just got pulled out the pit self, talk to the religious, offended, worn out, bitter, compromised self at 15. 15 years in the Lord. The one who was just saved would lay on the floor in the middle of worship. Didn't care anybody said, this person can't come to church, lift their hand for longer than five seconds. Let's, let's see what happens if the letter was written, right? Like we compromise. And see, when we move from compromise, the next place we go to is self-creation. Self-creation. Look at verse 4. 
And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with an engraving tool and molded what I told you all to say, a calf. Mm, Lord Jesus, help us. Not only did they build an idol, but they built an idol in the image of exactly what they wanted in the moment. You can't build an idol to the promised land. You, you can't. Because the promised land is too big, it's too grand, it's too enormous, it's too magnanimous for you to fit in an idol. So what the enemy does is instead of having you think about the promise, he begins having you focus on an immediate need or an immediate want. And what did they want? They wanted meat. They wanted food. I like a good steak. I like a good cheeseburger. I like, I, I like, I like some good food, you know what I'm saying? So they made themselves calf. They melted down the testimony. They melted down the very thing that God gave them to remind them every day of who he was. They melted it down and formed it into an idol of the thing they wanted in the moment. Idols are always built to melt a need, to meet a need, and never after the fulfillment of a promise. Why? Because we do not possess the ability to create even a knockoff of the promise of God. I need you to hear this. You may be able to go get the same thing that you're believing God for, but if it's not the thing God wants to give you, it won't do what God wants it to do. And so many times we think, I just need more money, so I'm going to get more money. No, you don't understand. The promotion that God's going to give you, the new job that God's going to give you, has an eternal purpose attached to it. There's a reason that you're not there yet. Potentially, the reason you're not there yet is because the guy that you're supposed to disciple and lead to Jesus isn't with the company yet. And if you go now, the guy who's there now will burn you out and you'll leave. So God's like, no, I need you to wait and live like you're living now. Because once this guy moves in, then I can promote you and put you there. And you can be ready to be the person I need you to be to save this person so we can change the entire company. But what we do is we get impatient and we get discontent. And we, we wander around in idolatry and discontent and all these different things. And so we jump ahead of the time and we meet the immediate need. But the problem is, is God's purposes never are only confined to meeting your needs. Ever. Everything God does meets you in the moment and has purpose attached for the rest of your life. When I was a life pastor, I used to tell the people all the time, God doesn't just know what you need, what your spouse needs to look like now. They need to know what your spouse is built like to keep you when you're 60. God has purpose attached to everything that he does. And so they, they build this idol. I'm waiting for God to move in my family or God to bring healing to my heart over something. I grow so impatient that I end up making work an idol. I can't fix it. God, I got hurt. I got bitter. I got upset. So instead of just standing here and believing and fasting and praying, I'm just going to stop even trying. I'm put all my focus over here on work because I can make a whole lot of money. And if I can control this outcome, I don't need to focus that I can't control this one. And we don't realize it, but we have made an idol out of meeting a need rather than trusting God to meet the need and fulfill the promise.
Because only God can do that. And see, then what happens? Before I move any further, once the enemy gets you to self-creation, he has disconnected you from what you're called to do. And I would probably say that I've been in ministry since I was 12. I was on the worship team when I was 8. When I, I, I was a worship leader at 12 years old, so that would put it at 20-something years. I don't know. In the amount of people that I have seen, and I'm not even like one of them old ministers. Next year, ne next week, I'm, uh, I'm, Brother Carl will be here. I'm going to be interviewing him. You don't want to miss this, by the way. I'm going to be interviewing Pastor Carl, who's been in ministry over 40 years and serving the Lord over 50. And the amount of people that I have seen in my lifetime that have a calling and a gifting and a purpose, throw it all away because they got discontent, they got frustrated, they got hurt, and they stepped into making more money instead of doing what God called them to do. Yes, they're still going to heaven. Yes, they still love the Lord. Yes, they're doing all these things, but they're missing out on the purpose. Listen to me. The purpose of God for your life is why you have oxygen. It's why you have your heart pumping. And he's so sovereign that he will let you step out of purpose and still trust that he's going to get what he wants out of the end. But you're missing out. And see, what happens is we move from compromise into creation. And then the last place we get is a similar place to last week with discontentment because the enemy wants to keep you chasing your tail. The last place we move is to confusion. Pastor Chris, I don't know how confusion is the last place. I'll tell you. Look at verse 6. And they rose up early the next morning and offered born offerings and peace offerings. People sat down to eat, drink, and rose to play. But verse 5, remember how I said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. If you look it up in the Hebrew, Right there? That's Jehovah. They made an idol on Saturday. The day is going to church on Sunday. They were, they, they, they were going to worship their idol all week and think that just because they made a burnt offering or a sacrifice on Sunday, they were good. And see, we get confused. And just like last week, when I get confused, then I start getting discontent because I don't understand why God's not working. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. No, you're not. You built an idol. And now you're in confusion because you're doing the things you've always done. We love you. We'll never stop. Can't live with a Jesus. We love you. Come and consume God. All oh, we are worshiping. Got our hands up. Pastor Cody says, put our hands up. So we listen. So put our hands up. Praise God. And we're singing, and it's great. And then, um, you know, I did the thing. Cool, let's go. And though it looks the same externally, it no longer touches heaven internally. And we wonder where the presence went. God, I'm still doing what I've always done. No, you're not. Because your heart's changed. Because you think that we can offer sacrifices on Thursday, Friday, Saturday to an idol and then still come feast with the Lord on Sunday. Here's what I have figured out. That the more I want Jesus, 
the less I can have of me. John 3.30, for I must decrease so that he may increase. If I want more of him in my life, there's got to be less of me, me in my life. Y'all, I had, I had a small little revival this week. I did. I got to go deer hunting on Thursday morning. And not only did I get to go deer hunting, but I shot a deer Thursday morning. It's my first buck in the state of Louisiana since I was in high school. I did a lot of hunting in Mississippi. I'm not that bad. I did a lot of hunting in Mississippi, you know what I'm saying? But y'all had me some revival. It was amazing. I got to pray. I got to shoot something. It was cold-ish. It was incredible. But it's amazing what happened to me Thursday evening and Friday morning and Friday afternoon. And even Friday night and Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon and Saturday night and Sunday morning. Oh, I want to go kill something else. I want to get back in the woods. Not sure why it makes me talk like this. But it's all I can think about now is shooting something else. But you see, I know that I can't. Because if I start feeding that thing, I know what it looks like. It takes over. Next thing you know, I'm gone a week at a time. I'm spending money that I probably should spend elsewhere. I'm hanging around people that probably shouldn't be hanging around and when I'm hanging around them I'm not thinking about winning the Jesus I'm thinking about what stand they're going to go to the next morning see I, I felt it Thursday I felt I felt the, the 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 recipe for an idol stirring thankfully I know what that idol looks like and I can stay away from it and hopefully I get to go shoot something else later this year but it doesn't mean I have to bow down to it. Please hear me out. Just because you don't get to do something that you enjoy the way you think you need to enjoy it doesn't mean you can't do it. But the last thing that you need to be doing is giving anything the authority in your life to take you away from the purpose that God has for you. Don't do that. Now, Israel ends up in confusion. Israel made one mistake and we make one mistake that could have saved them from all of this trouble. They had become so focused on the immediate needs that they were facing that they kept forgetting about the true promise God had made to them 400 years earlier. The promise wasn't to feed them in the wilderness. The promise was to bring them to the promised land. I need, I, need, I need to share something with you, and you're probably not going to like it. Ready for this? I'm, I'm going to look at the floor so nobody thinks I'm talking about them. But God has not promised you everything you want, regardless of how bad you want it. Sadly, we attach things we want and say God promised it because it targets our emotions. No, if you can't back up what God promised you with Scripture, God didn't promise it to you. 
oh, but I got a word. I don't care if you got a word from prophetess so-and-so. If prophetess so-and-so didn't have, here's where God is saying it's from. Or you can't take the word that you were given and go back and find it in Scripture. We got to stop attaching things that we want to what God said and saying God said it. Because it makes us look foolish and makes him look like he doesn't deliver. I'm going to just go at some things because I can't. Somebody hold my sign up, right? God did not promise everyone a spouse. He didn't promise everyone children. He didn't promise everyone prosperity. He didn't promise everybody healing. What? He didn't. Find them. Find it. Healing in this life right here. He didn't promise it. Do I believe he can't do it? No. Do I lay hands every time? No. You want to know why I know he hasn't? You want to know why I know this is the case? Because it's not the promise. And when I start attaching any of my faith to something that can only be met or I expect to see met in this life, I'm taking my eyes off the true promise he gave me. What's that promise he gave you? Go to Revelation chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he dwells. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them, and he shall be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for all the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write these words, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire, and brimstone which is the second death this is the promise the promise is not me getting what i want the promise is not me getting what i think i should have the promise is not me getting what some prophet preached at a message at a conference that i feel like i really want to grab a hold to the promise is that me someone who was destined for an eternity separate from god with no hope with no shot and with no option the promise is because i put my faith in the shed blood finished work of jesus christ on the cross i get to spend eternity with him that is the promised land. That is the thing I'm looking towards. And any time, hear me out, any time that anything else becomes the object of my faith, the object of my hope, and the object of my dedication, I'm falling into idolatry regardless of how Christian it sounds. 
No, no, it's the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor Chris, I believe God will heal me. Me too. I believe he's going to heal you. He's going to heal you in this body, or you're going to get the brand new one that has no sickness in it. But you're going to be healed. Well, Pastor Chris, I believe that I'm going to be married. Yes, you will. You're the bride. He's the bridegroom. I believe that I'm going to have sons and daughters. You might. They might be spiritual sons and daughters. We cannot attach the things that we want so desperately to things that we say God said if we can't know for a fact that he said it. No, I'm going to put my crosshairs on the thing that I know is true, is that I'm going to spend eternity with the one who gave his life for me. I'm going to get to have lunch with the one who hung on the cross for me. I'm going to get to go walking by the crystal sea down the streets of gold with Paul and Timothy and Moses. And I'm going to get to hear how God got them through jail cells. And they're going to find out how God got me through social media. See, this is the thing. This is the hope we've got to have. And some of you might be feeling discouraged. Please don't be discouraged because I promise you, if Jesus says that, I'm just going to say this because it's a very good example. If Jesus says that there's no marriage in heaven, that means that whatever is in heaven is better than marriage. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just looking at what the scripture says. Right? I, I don't, I don't want to be an opinionated preacher who people want to hear. I want to be somebody who's a Berean who can totally take scripture and say, this is what it says. This is what we got to believe. Because, see, one day what you believe might crumble because it's based upon you. But if I'm standing on the rock of ages, if I'm standing on the, the built on the rock, when the waves come and the storm comes, I'm not going to crumble anywhere. Does that mean that I'm not going to lay hands on cancer? I'll lay hands on cancer all day long, every day, and expect a complete and total restoration. Why? Because my sin was paid for in a stripes on his back was for my healing i'm not going to deny it but i'm also not going to get discouraged if i lay hands on somebody and walk off and god didn't do it why is it my fault i don't know is it their fault i don't know i'll ask him when i get there my hope is the fact that i get to ask him one day because i'm gonna get to spend eternity with him Wait, would you come now pastor chris i don't, I don't understand what you're saying what i'm saying is is fix your eyes on whatsoever things are pure and holy and righteous. Well, in my mind, there's only one thing that's holy, pure, and righteous. And that's Jesus. You, I know I've told you this story before. I'm going to close with this. Go to F. Two thousand fifteen. We were closing out the construction of the building on Paris Road. The church had some really hard financial times. It's okay, Siri. I forgive you. And I was told ironically on a phone call with somebody who didn't even go to the Shalmet church that I was losing my job. A buddy of mine calls me and says, hey, how you doing? Are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, going to do whatever. I think I was going to pick up Addison. I'm going to get Addison. What do you mean I'm fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I heard you lost your job. I said, oh, I did. That's cool. It's like, you didn't know? I'm like, no. And no idea. It's like, oh, whoops. I'm like, when am I supposed to find out? It's like after the conference in two weeks. It's like, oh, mm, yeah, that's not going to work. So I just show up at pastor's door 
He opens the door. Hey, when are you going to... I lost my job. I was a jerk. Tears were shed, you know, whatever. I get in my truck, car, whatever it was. I don't remember what I was driving. Drive back to my house. Tell Caitlin, hey, lost my job. Two weeks goes by. And the, the best words that any husband can hear when he has just lost his job or I'm pregnant. I mean, they, I mean, when I tell you, they are the greatest words. And I remember I'm walking out the door to go do an encounter retreat. I walk out and, and she's sitting Indian style on the bed and she's crying and she's like, I'm pregnant. And my first thought was, why'd you have to go and do that? You know, I kind of had something to do with it, you know, but I remember driving to the church. I remember teaching at the encounter. I remember doing deliverance. I remember praying for me to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And the whole time in the back of my mind, thinking to myself, I have no, for the first time in my life, I have no idea what I'm going to do. None. I was getting my final paycheck in four days. And I get home, and she was asleep. Addison was, she was like seven or eight months old. No, she wasn't asleep. She was in the kitchen or something. And I, I grabbed Addison, and I'm holding this, and she's a little bitty thing. And I'm crying because I don't know what to do. And see, this hits me right in all my insecurity because I, I, I don't know how to sheet rock. I don't know how to do electric work. I don't know how to do any of that. So I, I, don't, I can't just go get a side job. And so I'm angry at God. And I'm like, God, I know, I know what your word says. I know that you're a provider. And if you gave me this wife you gave me this daughter, then you're Jehovah Jireh. You're going to provide. I don't know what you're doing. You've called me to be in the ministry. You've called me to pastor in St. Bernard Parish. You've called me to be here. I'm, I'm married to the city. I'm married to the land. The church could burn down. I'll preach in a parking lot. Like, I, I don't know what you're doing. This makes no sense. And as I stood there, and I'm praying, and I'm trying to get it together, I, 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 and, 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 and I just, I was without words, and the only thing that came out of me was because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All of my fear is gone. It's because I know Yes, I know he holds my future and my life is worth the living just because he lives. If if I if this life lives long enough and, and, and gee, we still around and I die and I want Life is worth the living just because he lives on my epitaph. 
And at my funeral, I want them to say, because he lives for an hour. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you're waiting on, what you're believing for, what you're standing for, what you haven't seen yet. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Because one day he will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more sadness, no, no more pain. And I will get to spend eternity with Jesus. Because I have put my faith in him. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.